and sometimes why. Why? Welcome, humans, podcast listeners, citizens of the world. Yeah, thank you for your ears, sincerely. I'm Rob Zabo, and this is my podcast, and sometimes why. What do we do here? Well, what we do here is we have long-form conversations where I hope to get insights into how people think. What motivates people? How do people make decisions? On today's show, we have a real goodie, a real ringer, David Ambrad. He's been a long-term friend of mine, and this conversation was such a blast. Dave is a real gem of a person. He's got this infectious, positive energy that's contagious. I knew he'd grown up in Colombia, but I had no idea what life was like in Colombia when he grew up and the situation he and his family found themselves in before they emigrated to Canada. This was the era of the drug cartels and the guerrillas, you know, drug war shit. I don't want to give too much away, but this talk really blew my mind and gave me a sense of perspective about how lucky I was to grow up where I did and how I did in Canada, a peaceful, uneventful childhood. So we dig into that. We dig into some heavy music talk because Dave loves his hard rock and metal. And so do I. That's what we both grew up on. So we get into that, and we also play some of the music that I produced for his band, Royal Fuzz. So that's all you need to know for now. But before we get to the chat, I want to throw out our email address. The email address is andsometimeswhypod at gmail.com. So that's all one word. Why is a word, not a letter. So I want to hear from you people. Um, I'm hoping to get comments, questions, thoughts, ideas for guests, whatever you want. So email me. Also, I'm going to be doing Spotify playlists for all the music-heavy episodes. So this one is definitely one of those. So if you want to hear the songs that we're going to play in this episode in their entirety, go to the Spotify playlist. It'll be in the episode show notes. So here we go. On to the conversation. This is me talking with my pal, David Ambrad. Well, I'm, I was born and raised in Colombia mm -hmm. during the time that narco-traffic ended and, and guerrilla groups really, they were very, very apparent. And so that was early 80s, is that right? Um, early sold the way to the 90s, and it wasn't until yeah. 2005 that it started receding and, and getting a lot safer. And then as of the last two years or, or a year, they signed the peace treaty, at least the FARC. That's so interesting for me as, you know, being a kid who grew up in Canada and has no experience of that at all. And you grew up with that. Yeah, that was my normal. There was a lot of civil unrest and, and it's not as bad as the uh, news painted, but it was still pretty bad. There was a lot of things that you couldn't do and, and, and a lot of freedoms that a lot of people take for granted that we couldn't do. So like, can you give me an example? Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, driving from city to city. Some cities, maybe if it's if it's close, but you wouldn't go from the capital to Medellin or from Bogota to Cartagena. You're going through mountains, you're going through jungle, but there, there's so much space that is controlled by the guerrilla that you probably will get kidnapped. And you grew up in Cartagena, in is Cartagena, that right? Yes. 
And so the the cities that you just described that are how far away would they be? Roughly in like in terms of kilometers. On a flight from Bogota to Cartagena, it would be about an hour and 40 minutes, give or uh-huh. take, or uh, probably like a 19-hour drive. A 19-hour drive? So, yes, so the because, cities are really spread and the, the, well, the, no, also the topography? Like, yes, that's right. it, the topography. It's not that far, but the roads aren't the best. Okay. And it's also you're going up and down and windy roads and over mountains because we have the Andes in there as well. Right. Um, and then the gorillas slow you down too. Yes. Well, yeah, it's, it's the gorillas. <laughs> you have the... Uh, it's insane, especially uh, uh, Colombia, right? Because we have we have the guerrillas. There's the national army. Yeah. There's the auto defenses, mm-hmm. and there's also the paramilitary groups. Right. And they all hate each other. And some say they're helping, but then and even even the guerrillas too. It's uh, a while back there was a lot of them, but um, more recently it was just the FARC and the ELN. Uh huh. And so now you have those two groups. There's the auto defenses, which are people that decided to. Uh, formed their own army to battle the guerrillas. Uh, uh-huh. There was also the paramilitary groups, which was the same thing. It was a private force that was there to combat the, the guerrillas and maybe the army. And then you have the Colombian army who's like just fighting everybody as well. And through this <laughs> whole thing, that was 17 years of my life. I I, I grew up. In, that was your normal from the time you were born so that you didn't know anything else. Yes. There was the jingles on the TV for like the 10 most wanted. And like we all knew those songs. And When you say jingles, so that they made jingles out of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane, dude. Yeah. So it was like a commercial for the 10 most wanted yes. and they made a jingle out of it. Oh, yeah. There were songs and, and they were fun. And Oh, my God. I had no idea. So that really, like for someone who grew up in suburban Canada, that's like, oh, that really puts a fine point on it. Oh, on, yeah. On how normal it was. There was uh, there was things like you still have uh, narco-traffic went down in, in the late 90s. Okay. I would say. There were no more cartels by the end of the 90s. Okay. So the Medellin cartel was no longer a thing. Oh, I see. Um, so the trafficking was still happening, but the cartels yes. themselves were not in control of it. It was more like yeah, single so like, shops. Yes, yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. That's it. They broke down the uh, the competition, and now it's a free market. Oh, anyone can get into it. And do I, it. I didn't realize. It just shows how little I know about you know South American drug trafficking and guerrilla history. So that well, I'll be listening to your podcast for sure because this <laughs> is so interesting to me, man. Yeah, so so that was my thing. And then once I moved out of here, because I, I moved to Canada when I was 17. So were you interested in it as a kid growing up or is it more looking back and feeling like, oh, that's a part of my life that I never really dug into because it was so normal? Well, it, it was interesting because as a kid, um, you always had those conversations of like Escobar and, and Gacha uh-huh. and uh, and the uh, Orejuela brothers and, right. and and all that stuff. And, and you talked about them. And as we grew older, you sort of started to realize which one of your friends from school, uh, which ones had the parents that were involved in narco traffic. Oh, wow. Because as you get older, now you understand what money is, where it comes from, what it does. Yeah. And, and you also start to understand that it's not normal. For a kid to come to school with four bodyguards in a bulletproof Toyota Land Cruiser. Right. Like, ah, and you, so you, you put it together after the fact, not so much as a kid, because kids just, kids you know, they just kids. roll with it, right? Yeah, as, as you get older, it's like, oh, that's why you had a tiger in your farm. Oh my God, yeah, that's, yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> That's All amazing. Right. I assume it wasn't something people talked about. 
Like meaning no. you wouldn't ask the kid, hey, so your dad is whoever. Yeah, you don't want to do that. You knew not to say anything. You sort of knew too, and especially in a, in a city like Cartagena, which is so small and, and everyone just knows everybody's business. Uh-huh. And, and you would just knew there were there were families that were very prominent and, and you knew that they came from money and they had money or, or people that do this. And then all of a sudden there's these, the new reach. Right. It's like, ah, never heard of that guy. And now all of a sudden there's you know, all these things and companies and cars and they'd live in the good part of town. Right. Um, or, or someone would move down from a different city. Uh-huh. It's like, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of money. Interesting. So is that why your family came to Canada? Pressure from feeling like it wasn't safe in Colombia? Was it to that point? Well, at, at near the end. So I, I finished high school in 2000. Okay. And, and it was, it's very customary in Colombia. Um, once you graduate, you sort of go on an exchange. Yeah. If you went to a school that was bilingual and English was your second language, most likely you will go to the U.S. Sure. Mine was bilingual English. So I was going to come for my exchange six months, go North America, and I ended up here. That wasn't your choice? No, no. My choice was uh, I, I was going to go to Boston uh-huh. with a bunch of my buddies. But then I sort of slacked off and didn't fill out the paperwork in time. And so admissions closed and I could no longer go to Boston <laughs> with the rest of my friends, <laughs> <laughs> which sucked. <laughs> And then, so I, I started brainstorming. How about California? Well, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, you're not going to learn English in California. I'm like, everyone speaks Spanish. I'm like, okay, so I guess Miami right. is also out of the question. Were you going for weather? All, all three of those places were great weather. I was going for the coolest weather. places I could think okay. of. Yeah, and, and Canada uh, wasn't one of them. No, Canada wasn't even on the map. <laughs> uh, so I'm talking to my mom and I'm like, oh yeah, how about Australia? Like, it's, it's, it looks pretty cool. And they had just gotten back from, uh, from a trip to New Zealand. Yeah. And my mom hates flying. Right. So her whole thing was absolutely not. That was 22 hours. I'm not going there to visit you. I'm not having you that far away from home. Right. So Australia's out of the question. Time is running out and the semester is going to start. So someone said, well, how about Canada? I'm like, well, I don't know Canada. It's a nice place. Like they have a hockey team. Like, I know that from playing Blades of Steels on Nintendo. And then the Skydome. So Colombians played Blades of Steel? Oh, yeah. Uh, video games. Yes, yeah, yeah. That Even was, though uh, you did, I assumed hockey wasn't a thing in Columbia no, at all. No, but it was a it was a Nintendo game. So but you but just, I mean, people, you just play whatever the game was. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah, whatever. It might it as was, well have been like a space game, I guess. Because I mean, like, no one's playing hockey, right? You know, that's the thing. That's those are games and Mighty Dogs movies were a thing uh, that's too. So, so it's funny. Like, it's it's funny as like w- when you didn't grow up there to to just kind of ask about like what what was life like, right? Oh yeah, I have no oh, it, idea. It was crazy. So I, these guys are making fun of you. These old guys going, "What do you know about Canada?" Yes. And then my whole thing, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's above the U.S., I guess. And I knew that the Skydome was a thing because my dad loved baseball, and he wouldn't shut up about this one stadium that opens up. It's like the ceiling just automatically opens. Like, right, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, my God, that was a big Skydome. draw. Yeah, that was a big thing. <laughs> the Skydome. Yeah, and my dad loved Canada for some reason. He'd never been here, but he was just in love. He's like, yeah, it's such a great place and whatnot. What, what did he tell you about? Like, what do you think he loved about Skydome it? Skydome and the Blue Jays. That's he, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I landed in Canada on July 29th with a suitcase full of jeans, sweaters, and a winter jacket because everyone was just messing with me and saying that it was so cold. I forgot that there's this thing called summer. You were fully expecting July 29th to have to wear a a parka. I had winter boots, jeans, this gigantic stupid sweater, uh, like a parka, and I'm getting off the plane and immediately I just start sweating. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) God damn it. I'm like, they got me. Fast forward two, three months, now I get to see Pearl Jam. Wow. And that was my very first show, and I remember being there and watching Pearl Jam play live and and wearing my Pearl Jam shirt that I bought at the show 
and through my head, the only thing that was going through it was just, I'm not going back to Columbia. So that's it. I'm saying here, this is home. Isn't that a great feeling? It after was awesome. you see your first show. Yes. And and everything is so new and everything is so loud and, and you know, well, and, and, and everything you find, just hits you and you're so open and you're taking it all in. And, and you're seeing people that it's uh, like, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm one of you guys. Like, this is awesome. I didn't know there were so many people that love metal and rock because in Colombia there was so few of us. And now it's everyone. There's an arena that holds thousands and thousands of people. And you're all here to see Pearl Jam. And I like Pearl Jam too. My tribe. My Your business, tribe. I, yes, I'm here. See, that's funny because I always assumed that in South America, metal was huge. Because growing up in Canada, you know, you see the rock and Rio stuff from like, you know, all those hard rock and metal bands playing in Rio. And I know... You know, Brazil and Colombia are different countries, but I just assume that in a lot of those South American countries that it was big and they played stadiums, et cetera. But you're saying well, it, it more is. so in Brazil or, or? No, no. Colombia is huge too. Like Bogota is, is a big hub for black metal and uh, Swedish metal and things like that. Right. It's it's huge. The problem is if you don't live in that city. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm not I'm not an outcast. I'm like, this is awesome. This is normal here, which means I'm normal here. Wearing all black was no longer weird. Having long hair was no longer weird. That was weird in Colombia. Like people would turn their heads and be kind of like, oh, he's a bad kid or something like that. Yeah, it's like either you'll grow out of it or it's just, why do you like the devil so much? It's like, I don't like the <laughs> devil. I just like Uzzy. In North America, it was kind of like that. Like I remember being a kid and I had long hair and I loved the hard rock bands and everything. And I remember wanting to get a job at a grocery store. But at the time, in the mid to late 80s, if you had long hair, you could not work at a grocery store. There's there's no such thing. You You only like white, good church-going young boys with really short crop military style. That's the only kids who had jobs. And at the time, grocery stores paid really well. But I was like, screw that, man. I'm staying real. (laughs) I went and worked in a factory, right? But I mean, yeah. Yeah, so so to me, we didn't even have that. There was was five of us, and you knew that once you graduate, it's time to grow up. And and you shouldn't be playing guitar anymore because that's for kids. You should just... Go and become something and work, and then that's it. That's just and that's a dream. just a culture. Now that I mean, you've lived in North America, in Canada now for what? How many years? This year, yeah, longer than I ever lived in Colombia. So it's been nineteen years. Wow. Yeah, one of my best friends, ultra religious, religious parents, and I remember going to his house and opening my knapsack in his bedroom, and I'm like, guess what I just got? Yeah. And he never liked metal, but I was still showing him all my stuff. One of Sepultura's earliest albums, uh, yeah. I'm going to butcher it, but it was Bestial Devastation. It had two names, okay. but I pulled out that one and it was just like a devil burning something. Yeah. And I had another Iron Maiden, Best of the Beast, the double album, right, Best of the right, Beast, and right. I was so pumped. And his mom walked in. I was banned from his house for like a year. That It was actually a religious, yeah. my buddy, his name was Pete, and his sister, who is an older sister, was born again. She was fully, and she had a room beside us. I remember this like it was yesterday. We'd sit on his bed and we had ACDC Highway to Hell. (laughs) And we just, this was new for us. And so we were like, this is the best thing in the world. And we'd sit and crank it in his room and his sister would come in and open the door and tell us to turn it down. And we'd be in there with our like, (laughs) we're freaking her out. Isn't this great? It was a big commotion. And that, you step back from it, you go, Well, that's exactly what that was designed for. Everything about that music was designed for that to happen. Yeah, it was was the big (laughs) F you in your face. Right. Anyway, so you actually weren't allowed to to go to this guy's house for a year? His mom said that if I agreed to go to church with them and and get the devil 
exercise out of me. Is that a so word? they actually thought you were possessed for real? Oh, she it? did. She was absolutely nuts. <laughs> That's serious. Yeah. So me and a couple more buddies had to go to church so that we could hang out with Willie again. That's a friendship. And they're trying to take the demon out of us by like hitting us in the forehead. And they did the full like, oh, yeah, like it was Jimmy awesome. Swaggered, whatever, it was you know, exorcism. Yeah. And then after that, it's like, whatever. I'm like, I'll pray. I just let me hang out. I'm like, I want to come play PlayStation with Willie. I'm like, Jesus, wow. I'm like, we're kids. My mom was always pretty cool. Uh, so she was the one. My grandpa was a captain in the Colombian army. Really? And, and through uh, his uh, Navy life, yeah. he just, he lived all over the world. Yeah. And he would always bring my mom records. So my mom, I grew up with, the, you know, Beatles, the Carpenters. Right. Uh, well, that's Bonnie what your Ray. mom was into in yeah, addition had, to Colombian folk music right. and whatever, right? Yeah, my dad was full on Colombian and he also loved Afro-Cuban jazz or, or oh, like wow. bachata and all that stuff. Uh, my mom loved American music. But one of your parents, I, I thought, had Lebanese background. Is that right? That's your yes. dad's. Okay. His grandparents came from Lebanon. And uh, so my grandma and, and my grandpa, they yeah. were born in Lebanon, but grew up in Colombia. Right. Uh, still full accents and everything. And my dad Lebanese, right. and his brothers and sisters were first generation Colombian from Lebanese parents. Interesting. What's the history of people coming from Lebanon to Huge. Colombia? Um, all, all Middle East. So there was the the, the migration was in the 1900s, uh-huh. and it was due to religious wars. Right. Uh, so Christians versus uh, Muslims and Catholics, and and they, they all just sort of left. And, and, and why Colombia? Nor, uh, South America. So waterways, and because back then you would have to go by by boat. Right. And so people landed. Um, Prince Edward Island has a big population of uh, Lebanese people. I did and not know it's that. Same thing. It's a, it's an entry port. Uh, so in South America, it was Colombia, Venezuela, and Brazil are the ones that have the, the majority, and that's that's sort of like the opening of the Caribbean Sea. And, and so this is Lebanese people just saying, we don't want this violence. We don't want this yes. religious unrest and never-ending wars. We want to go somewhere. Exactly, they're being Somewhere. persecuted, so you get out. And and it's uh, there was you know some some Jewish, some Syrian, Lebanese, mm-hmm. uh, practically everywhere. And, and this and, is before the World Wars. Yes, this right. would have been early 1900s. Right, right. Um, and so all of them came, and they all settled in cities. They're all merchants. That's that's what uh, Middle Easterns are known for in mm-hmm. South America. They're merchants, huh. and so they all settled along along waterways, so through rivers and everything. So, if you look at Brazil, the biggest populations are um, Belo Horizonte, uh, Fortaleza, and and I guess Manaus as a little as well, the Amazon. Right. And and in Venezuela, it's the same. Like Caracas has a big one, but like mm-hmm. also whatever is open to the waters. Mm-hmm. And in Colombia, it was all those towns close to Cartagena because it was it was a a big port town as well. Right. Uh, so my city has actually a ridiculous quantity of, of Middle Eastern families. Oh, really? And so were were your grandparents merchants? Uh, farmers. Yeah. So my grandpa was a cattle farmer. Oh, just you mentioned merchants, so I, I yeah. So well, but that's they they all that was uh, that was the old tale. It's the immigrants would come and they would settle by the water and they would buy things and sell it, right. and then they would buy land and then all of a sudden it's just you're Colombian. It's they call them Turcos, so Turkish. So regardless of where you were from, you were Turkish. Isn't it crazy how different tribes do that to each other, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's so like, funny. Quote unquote Indians in North America, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's they're they're clearly not Indians, but uh, no, like, you're I'm Indians. Just call you that. Yeah. Just going to call you Indians. <laughs> it's so silly, right? And also, a lot of them lost 
the heritage. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my last name is Ambrad, mm -hmm. but that's not my real last name. So through a lot of digging, we were able to find trace our roots back to Lebanon and figure out that our last name is actually Emrad, M-R-A-D. M-R-A-D. Yeah. So what happens is so you have all these immigrants coming to Colombia in the early 1900s. There's no documents. And even if they were, they're written in Arabic. They will say, what's your name? And my grandpa was uh, Yusuf Emrad. Uh -huh. So they'll say, okay, so you're going to be Jose Emrad. That's just what it sounds like, and that's your last name That's now. your last name. Yeah, so... Take it of, or leave it. Yeah, some of them were super easy to to understand. Others, it's like, phonetically, you're going to be this person. And this is a story that your father and mother told you? Yes, we, we all knew that the Lebanese last names, they yeah. were all butchered. They were wrong. Uh, and but, it wasn't until very recently, you know, because now technology and there's more opening, but but right. even I have all the documents. So I started researching this a while back and I have all the documents from my grandparents. See, there we go. Renaissance, yeah. man. Which is like it, I was which saying. super cool. You want, you want to understand where you're from and, and, and also like trying to remember what my, because my grandpa died when my dad was 10. Mm -hmm. So I just never knew him. Right. But from my grandma, she would tell us that she was from a place called Sasle and my grandpa was from a place called Gazir. Mm -hmm. So even that, I don't even know where those places were because I just didn't know how to spell them. And it wasn't right. until Google Maps and, right. and, and talking to the older folks, it's like, oh, it's actually spelled like this and, and, and this is so the place. So you researched a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I love and, hearing this. And, and my cousins too. Like we we all took place in that. And, and it was one of my cousins in Colombia that figured out who he was back there. And he went and visited too. Uh, wow. But have, have you ever gone? No, no, I want to. You, yeah, I, right. I tried. I was going to because uh, I have a friend who's from Lebanon. He's from Tripoli, mm -hmm. and I was going to travel with him. And mm -hmm. that was when the bombing in the embassy in uh, Beirut happened, and all that uh -huh. stuff. And I'm like, oh, maybe I just shouldn't go. Right. But it's totally fine because those things happen. And I lived in Colombia when bombings were happening, and it just never right. touched you. But yeah, yeah. So I, I do want to go because it's beautiful. And and you know, like your grandma, my grandma would always talk about it and how like beautiful and it do is. Do you feel connected? to it as yes it was really interesting so from from my grandma she instilled in us that we were very special because we had Lebanese blood I you love know, hearing like, this yeah like there's Colombians but like you're you're better so you have Lebanese blood in you you're, you're an Amber <laughs> and it's so funny because all the Middle Eastern families they're all we were all the same like we all thought we, we knew we were special it's like yeah oh, we're Lebanese and, and the food at my grandma's house, it's, we grew up Lebanese. It's, we ate kibbe and fatouche salads and tabbouleh. And, and we knew uh, all, like all the words for all the food. It was all in Arabic. And when we got yelled at, we were being yelled at in, in Arabic. In and, Arabic. And yeah. was that, did you love that food at that time? Or oh, was God, that like, this, oh, this is weird no, food. I'd rather is, have Colombian food. No, no. To, to date, that's still my absolute that's favorite, favorite food ever. What's your favorite dish? Uh, shish barak. It's, okay. uh, it's this um, yogurt soup that has, I call them little hats, but it's sort of like a doughy filled with meat. And that was just my absolute enta bully. Okay. Yeah, those things were just, I could go through buckets of those. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and then also the, the candies too, because my grandma used to make those and sell them. So bachleva, right, right. Um, mahmoud, and, and all those things. And she had, just the garage was filled and she kept oh, wow. her. Yeah. And did you learn to speak No. Arabic? So my no. grandma, because she grew up in Colombia, yeah. she had an accent and she could speak it, but she never learned how to write it or read it. It's just she lost that part. So it was only spoken. On the generation of my parents, none of them learned how to speak they it. They never learned how to speak it. Isn't just that Spanish. crazy how you can lose it over a generation? Yeah. So my grandma, I remember when I was a kid, you hear her a lot because she still had some of her sisters and brothers alive. Mm -hmm. But as they... Uh, 
passed away, mm. you heard it less and less and less. And even just hearing you say the names of the food, and it sounds like you put a little bit of a Lebanese accent in in, in the way you would say it in English. That's that's really yeah. interesting because obviously you'd heard it said that way, right? Yes. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and you knew that like if your grandma yelled shoe, it was just that's like look. And and yalla meant like hurry up, hurry up, let's go, let's go. The thought I'm having now is I hear you describe this this mix in your background and, and, and the fact that you've been living in Canada now longer than you lived in Colombia, but yet you've got these Lebanese roots. Like how do you identify? Is that is that a thing you think about well, in terms of, you know, who am I or Growing up in in that culture, so I, I know that I'm I was Colombian, but I still had that Lebanese piece. But I thought I was Colombian. I thought I looked Colombian, and and it's just it's normal because I also see other uh, mixed kids too that are like half Colombian, half uh, Syrian or Lebanese or, right, or whatever. Right. It wasn't until I came to Canada that everyone started when everyone started asking me where I was from. It's like mm -hmm. oh, I said Iran, or people start guessing things, and I'm like, wait a second, what? <laughs> they always like, guess oh. Middle Eastern. Yeah, I'm like, oh, goddamn. I'm like, I don't look Colombian at all. And then you start meeting people. I'm like, <laughs> isn't that oh, amazing? Yeah, you have to come to Canada for someone. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was insane. And then I start meeting kids from other Latin American countries, and I'm like, oh yeah, your vibe don't look like any of you guys. And then once my beard truly came, started coming out full, and and I just stopped shaving. I'm like, oh, I, I, I fully look Middle Eastern. The, my first job downtown Toronto, I was outside the building smoking, and it was close to a mosque. And people would always, on Fridays after prayer, people would walk by and just be like, Salam Alaikum. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh, they think I'm one of them. I'm like, oh, like, well, I kind of am. So. Well, and there then you go. It, yeah, it was like learning how to how to answer back. And, and one did of you my, actually learn the, the the back and forth? Oh, yeah. The, the yeah, because it was just, it was so much fun. And one of my friends, I remember asking, it's like, what just happened? I'm like, don't worry, I'm one of them. I'm like, it's just, it's cool. That's I'm like, my I, heritage. Yeah. Man. It's I'm in like, my they, blood. It's it's hilarious. I'm like, yeah. But, I, but I don't when you look, say them, you've said that a few times. You don't feel so like Eastern, it's part of you. Well, because I was born and raised in Colombia. Culturally, right. I'm Colombian. So it doesn't I, feel yeah. like part of your fabric. And it's funny. I'm trying to dissect that just because I don't really actually think it's fundamentally important to, to draw those tribal lines. But I know, you know, as a person, uh, my dad's from Hungary, my mother's from Quebec, but I was raised in English-speaking Canada. So I always felt sort of like an other there. Right. I was always not, always a kid who like his parents had accents. They both had different accents. As you're growing up, you always kind of feel like, well, I don't quite fit in. So what am I? And now that I'm older, I, I realize, yeah, maybe, you know, tribalism isn't so important. If anything, it's the thing that kind of pulls a lot of us apart. But I, I just find it really interesting to talk to people who have yeah. mixed backgrounds like that. We have very well, similar backgrounds yeah. in that way, meaning we were transplants, you know, at different points in our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went, and, and in Colombia, I fit in because there was a lot of people that had both backgrounds. Right. So it was just normal. So coming here and trying to explain to people that, yeah, I, I look Middle Eastern because I'm half Middle Eastern. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know anything about their culture other than grandma gave me a kiss, grandma gave me money, right. and the name of food. Otherwise, it's all Spanish. It's all and, Spanish. Yeah, and it was really interesting when uh, I, would, I would jump, uh, I, I would start talking to someone. They're like, my friend. I'm like, let me, is it Iran? No, I'm like, not even close. It's like, ah, oh, Pakistan. I'm like, no, Colombia. 
Huh? I'm like, I know. I know. I'm like, I speak Spanish only. <laughs> it's like, I don't know any. <laughs> and then they're disappointed, right? Yeah. Because they want to well, make it, that connection. Like that happened to me all the time. Yeah. Anytime anyone sees my last name, Sabo, you know, Hungarians, they freak out and they start speaking to me in Hungarian. They're like, and oh my I, God, I never, you're a hustler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're like, uh, Sabo. And, and I have to explain to them, I never really learned. My mother was, you know, spoke French. We learned French, not Hungarian. Anyway, yeah. I, I've it's, been there. I find it more disappointing for me. Right, because it would be super cool to be able to speak Arabic with uh, with all these people, and and really, I I think you understand the the culture a lot better if you if you know the language because Absolutely. there's a lot of things that that are non translatable. Totally, and and so do you feel for, like you'll do that at some point? I don't know. It's 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 a hard language. So let me come back to how you identify now, having lived in Canada as long as you have. Do you think of yourself as a Colombian living in Canada? Or a Canadian with Colombian heritage with some Middle Eastern it's heritage? I'm, I was born and raised in Colombia. Yep. So everything that I learned from when I was born to the age of 17, I finished high school there. Yep. Uh, I say my growing up happened in Canada because the, the real formative years, which was, uh, I guess, post-secondary education. So like from 18 to 35 now. Mm-hmm. That's when you really start learning how the world works and, and how you work as a person and what you like and what you don't like. And, and you start making choices because before your parents just do everything for you. Yeah. And you just kind of go with the uh, the current. Right. So like the things uh, like childhood TV shows or like commercials and, and things that I used to do as a kid, that's very Colombian. Mm-hmm. Everything else was, it's very Canadian because very Canadian. I, I went head first into the Canadian culture. You embraced I, it. I loved it. You're and, open to it. Even so yeah. That's interesting. And I think it says a lot about you, Dave. Just as a person, you're very open and you're very gregarious. Not everybody who comes to a new country, you know, you 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 often get, quote unquote, immigrants that come to yeah. a country and, and really want to kind of just create a new version of where they came right. from, a as opposed of, to embracing the culture that yeah. they're, right. Oh, and, and then a lot of my friends ended up leaving before their term because we were all going to come here, some for six months. Um, I was supposed to only be here for a year. Really? A, a lot of, I, I remember kids just crying every mm. day because he wasn't home and it was weird and they missed their friends and their families. You, you didn't feel like that? God, no. You, I was so having you, so you're, much fun. You're a bit of an outlier then. Huh. Yeah. And, and I think it had a lot to do with uh, the fact that I went through a lot of different schools. Right. So I guess I just got really good at making friends. I was just going to say, you must, in, I know that about you having known you all these years, right? Yeah. And, like, and, and, and I came here and, and everything was so different. It was everything that I had been seeing on TV for so long that, that I loved. It's the music and, and, and the clothes. It's like, you can, you can find rock t-shirts everywhere. It's, that's it's all centered me, around music. Yeah, to me that was absolutely insane because that's what I was. That's what I was used to. And then all these things that that my parents and and, and society tells you that you can't do anymore. Right. You need to grow up. You, you're now an adult, and right. you need to just not do anything. And then you come to Canada, and you can still play in a band and, and play in a bar and make money. You can also skateboard till yeah. like the age of thirty. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this really is promised land for me. I would not have guessed that Colombia was more. I don't know that it, that it would be that frowned upon to do those things. I guess it's funny when you have these biases that you take for granted. Yeah. But being in Canada, I, I remember walking down the street and seeing people leaving their bikes outside on their front lawn and toys and everything and, right. and doors were unlocked. You would never do it in Colombia. No, no. no way. I still, to this day, I've been living in Canada for 19 years. It'll be 19 years this July. Yeah. People still brushed against me on the subway. And my first instinct is to touch my wallet right. for a pickpocket. 
It's right. never happened, but it's just, it's automatic. And I remember being at a bar uh, with a friend of mine when we got our fake IDs. And at one point it was 12 a.m. And he's like, all right, let's go home. He was from, he was also from Colombia. So I guess we'll get someone to call us a cab. Mm -hmm. And he starts laughing. He's like, no, no, we're walking home. I'm like, yeah, it's dark outside. We can't walk home because yeah. you don't walk at night. And he starts laughing. He's like, oh, yeah, you just got here. That's right. I'm like, no, you can freely. Nothing's going to happen. And from that day on, I was walking everywhere. Touch it was freedom, just this, right? It, yes. It's this newfound freedom that I can do things. Now, when you drive, you actually do stop on red lights at night. Unlike Colombia, which you just, it's it's a, a soft roll through. You just roll um, through. Yeah, you don't have to, like, worry about who's standing around the cash machine to use it. You can walk at night. You don't so have so to, does that mean you're just less stressed out over, like, when you're in Colombia or back then, when you were, did, did it feel like anxiety that was kind of no, a low-level anxiety your whole life? No, because it's um, it's just, it's your normal. Right, so you don't think it's weird. You, you don't just feel know, stressed out. No, You're just like, just, that's, yeah, that's there life, are rules man. for life. Talk about a different, a different life. Were you ever in a band in in Colombia? Yes. So yeah, you I were. was in two bands, even though they were uncommon. Yeah, very. So that was if you liked the metal, you knew everyone in the city that liked metal because there was only thirty of you, maybe at most. Right. And we all hung out together because in a city of Cartagena was how many roughly? Like, is it a hundred? When 000, I lived there, 200? no, seven hundred and forty-three thousand people. Well, almost. So that's a big city. Yes, but it's very segmented. So there were spots where you wouldn't dare go because it's just unsafe, and 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 it's very split in neighborhoods. So you knew all the metal dudes. Yeah, and yeah, from every school. Because we all met up at the same spot. We were the same kids that were into skateboarding at the beginning. And then right. we all started playing guitar together. That's and heavy. we all bring our acoustic guitars and, and try and learn Metallica songs of each other. And, and right. all of a sudden, someone comes in and plays the beginning of Fear of the Dark. It's like, oh, teach me that. Obviously, you're playing guitar. But had you started singing at the time? No, I, I, was, I was super afraid to sing. Uh, so my first band, I was supposed to be the singer. And on our first show... I remember getting there. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of sick. I'm like, I can't sing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how my first bands, that was always what it was like. No one wanted to sing. Someone had to do it. So you begrudgingly just, fine, I'll sing. Someone's got to. It's terrifying. Um, for people who don't know, I produced a bunch of records for a band that you played with throughout the last five, six years. Yeah, about that. And, and you found your voice. <laughs> your amazing screaming metal voice yeah. that you didn't realize you had as far as I knew. No, I remember when I, when I was a kid, one of the bands that I was in, we would always mess around playing a couple of Pantera songs and I would just scream. Right. But it was it was in any serious and so I just So that didn't was the know. early incarnation of you as a singer. Yeah, like I knew I could do Cookie Monster metal. But and I had only done it a couple of times and it was always a joke and, and that was that. And when I moved to Toronto, I came here to be a singer-songwriter. Right. So I was doing the acoustic stuff, and, and I knew my voice was good because I could I could do some high notes. Totally. Uh, but I didn't know that I could scream. You didn't know you could do the high notes with all the, like, yes, with, in yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea I could do that until Eddie, who played in the band, and, and he sang so in the first the band, record. Royal Fuzz, Royal we're Fuzz. talking about. So on the first record, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember the evolution of it. We did the first Royal Fuzz record, and then... At a certain point, Eddie decided he just wanted to write. He didn't really want to sing anymore. He didn't think his voice really suited the songs as well. And he's like, we were going to have to find another singer. Yeah, well, and, and he was <laughs> you, having issues talking about, with his voice because yeah, yeah. as we kept making the songs heavier and heavier. Uh, and yeah, well, so when we were talking, I'm like, you know what? We're not going to waste the rehearsal space for today. I know all the lyrics. 
let's just keep going and I'll just sing them for now. And then he went from that to, I just, I'm not even going to play guitar anymore. I'm only singing. Now you're the singer and everybody in the band was completely floored that you could sing the way, and all the while you'd been right under everyone's nose. This incredible metal singer who can scream the highest crazy stuff, and I've, right? I'd never tried it. I just knew that like it kind of sounded good in the car when I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs or in the shower and then that's that's it. I that's- love that. I was floored when I first heard you start doing that cuz that's that's something I like I'm terrible at. Like I'm a competent singer in some ways for some rock stuff, but I could never scream high stuff like that ever. My voice just, I just can't do it no matter what I try and do. And here you, you kind of came out of nowhere and you know, we'd already known each other for 10 years probably. Yeah, right? and it was scary too for me because all of a sudden I'm screaming and I'm doing this thing that you read about your favorite bands and all that stuff. And you know, that like yeah. some people get notes, other didn't sing properly. And I'm bolting these screams for three hours at a time. Yeah. And I'm going home and I'm like, yeah, my throat hurts, but I'm fine. Like, ooh, what am I yeah, doing Yeah, most people, like, I think women with higher range can often sing super high without killing themselves, but to, to sing in the range you were singing in and to have the grit that you put on it, people would just lose their voice. Yeah, I got for, headaches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'd, ra- <laughs> I'd take a headache if I, could, if I could scream like that. Yeah, until until I started working with uh, the, the vocal coach, Amanda. Amanda Mavro, right, who's a mutual yeah. friend of ours. She's incredible. Changed my singing yes. life for sure. Yeah, yeah incredible. So yeah. she started working with me, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, so there are easier ways of doing this. I'm just pushing air as hard as I possibly can. And she's like, yeah, you, don't, you already naturally can do that. You don't have to sing that hard. Can you introduce Invasion of Martyrs? I think that's probably the best, one of the best rock vocal performances I've I've been involved with. I can't believe you're singing that on that song. It's so far. metal. Like I, I picture myself as a 15-year-old kid. If if someone had told me, listen, you're gonna produce a record with a singer who sings like this, I'd be in heaven. That was by far the most fun song to sing because it's like an escalating scream. Invasion of Martyrs was it was great. It just flowed so well. It was it was literally making my inner child smile. I'm like, yeah, I'm singing metal, and uh, and like I heard all these guys do it, and 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 it sounds beautiful, and I'm and I'm screaming. I've never heard someone sing metal quite like that. Like it's kind of a new thing to me. I'm like, that's kind of a new style with that kind of grit, and it doesn't really have any of the opera vibrato, but it's not like straight up Axl Rose. It's kind of got its own thing, and I I feel like wow. That's something. Yeah, and having uh, like singer icons, right. I should say. Cornell, like what if I tried to sing a Soundgarden song? And, and finding that voice, right. I'm, I'm at home and I'm just trying it against the radio. I'm oh, like, so that's, oh, what, that's, that's what you were doing. You, <laughs> it, well, it was like studying to see if I could do what they did or how right. they did it. I was like, okay, let's listen to Cornell and really study what he's doing and see if I can do that. And that's when I found out that I could scream with falsetto. Because I knew I could do falsetto because I was doing the country stuff back in the day. So I'm like, okay, I'm like, let's see if I can do it like he does. Uh, One of our early conversations, I don't know if you remember, we were talking about Cornell and I was asking you all these questions and you you said, well, he does what some people call uh, the cheat scream, which is you do falsetto Uh and, and you put the grit. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could do that. So you're telling me that we had that conversation before we recorded that stuff? 
Are you kidding? Yeah, I so had no of, idea that's what happened. Yeah, a lot of the stuff on Rhino where I was doing like falsetto screams yeah, all yeah. came from from trying to imitate that and, and see how I could sort of do that. Wow. So Invasion of Mars was on the album before uh, that, Yeah, right? that was um, Cobra Fuss. Yeah, okay. So here's another song I want to play. Uh, Nola. Yes, that's from like Rhino. Like the, the screams. So is that what you're talking about? Yes. That high falsetto thing where you add the grit. Yeah. and, and I wish the... I could do that. The... Here, we'll play it. Yeah, ah, that those screams, just blood curdling screams. I would love to and, be able and to even do that. The, the soft song from that from the Rhino Fuss, uh, Rival Shawls. Okay, that was another one too. Where it's like the entire thing is kind of falsetto until the screams, and the screams are just pushing. That was really fun for me to do that many records that quick in succession, doing however many albums that was in in like two well, years. Was, How was, many songs? It was like fifty tracks. About that. Fifty yeah, tracks it was in two years. Write, rehearse, record. That was a really fun. I learned a lot from that process. Yeah, that was, that was great. Your whole family, like immediate family, mom and dad and sister moved to Canada eventually after you. Yes. Correct. Uh, and was that at the, the height of when things were not good in Colombia? Is yes. that what drove that? 1994, Pablo Escobar gets killed. Sort of one of the last ones to go down from the Medellin cartel. The rest were put to jail. So that cartel is gone. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 1998, Cali cartel was kind of dealt with. And that's when things really went downhill. Narcotraffic, like the 90s were already kind of messed up, but mm-hmm. that sort of sent Colombia into a downward spiral because when the narcotraffic was there, money was flowing. There was there was a time I remember where the Colombian peso was at par with the US dollar. Wow. And that was because we were living in a fake economy. There was all this money laundering happening. There mm-hmm. was industry. There mm-hmm. was money coming in, being spent inside the country. Mm-hmm. So when narcotraffic stopped, so did a lot of that. I started seeing friends that were doing super well start going into bankruptcy or, or not doing so well. Oh, because and, when it went away. Yes, when it went away, right. we all felt it. There's a lot more that goes with it. It's like a simplified version, but a lot of these people now are are angry at the government because the government can't do anything. And, and things are just going from bad to worse. The, the government uh, isn't going to like supplement drug trafficking right, in order to help the economy, right? Yeah, and, and the government doesn't have money to like, to help pay for those guys. Narcotraffic yeah. did. Narcotraffic kept everyone employed. So right. so as the, as the population keeps losing their jobs and, and there's no money going around, mm-hmm. farmers aren't making any money either because they were making money from cocaine growth and now that's not a thing. Right. Or, or they were keeping them happy doing that. There's no stimulus in the economy. There's right. been all these internal wars between narco-traffic and the, and the army. Oh, so this is all happening now, later 90s. Yes. Which leads uh, to around the time when you left Yeah, Columbia. so by the, by the time 2000 hit, it's insane. The number one business in Colombia is kidnapping because kidnapping is free money. That means that I'll come to you, I'll kidnap you, whether it's express kidnapping or just regular kidnapping, and then ask for $300,000. You pay the $300,000, whether you get killed or you get returned, that's up to the kidnappers. And it, it was mostly 
kidnappers kidnapping people in the narco business who had a lot of money? Was that uh, what it was? Yes, or or families that that they had just regular. You had to be you somewhat to rich to get kidnapped, right? Yes, yeah, and, and and he got to the point where like now you no longer had to be super rich. Any money oh. would do like any fifty thousand or a hundred thousand. Oh, okay. Yes. So my dad was glad that I was gone. This is all happening, and I didn't know this, but my dad was being threatened to be kidnapped. So the oh whole my thing, God. H- how it works is they would contact you and say, we need 100000 to not kidnap you. Okay. And, and then- So, so it's, it's pre-kidnapping. Yeah, exactly. And, and, the, and the thing is, if you paid the 100000 and they went away, that would be all beautiful. It's like, yes, absolutely. My freedom is worth 100000 I guess, if you have it. But the problem is that once you pay the 100000 then they're going to come back for another hundred or maybe 500 But if they kidnap you, then it might start at 800 to a mil. They contact you pre-kidnapping and say, "Give us a hundred grams so we won't kidnap you." But of course, you have no you have no stick to stop them from kidnapping you. Right. So then they just come back because they know, well, they've got money. Yeah. It's that simple. Uh, so Colombia, my city was is mainly buildings, mm-hmm. and you have your doorman and their security, and that didn't stop anyone. People mm-hmm. were getting kidnapped left, right, and center. Uh, now it's a fear. And if you have a, a kid that's 16 and, and now they're going out and partying with their friends and you bought them a car and, and, and they're traveling everywhere and independent, well, that's that's a risk. That's a huge liability right. because now they can get abducted. Uh, so, our schools yeah, were yeah. like little prisons, right? Oh you couldn't God. leave the school grounds wow. uh, because things like that. So when I called my dad and, and I said, I, I never told him I saw Pearl Jam. I just said, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go back to Colombia. I think I want to do school here. For him, that was a blessing. Like, oh yes, my God. fine. Yeah, I can just there. imagine. Yeah, how he's like, don't feel. go back because this is messed up. So as that got worse, my dad received a letter from the ELN and mm-hmm. it was it was a schedule. So it, it was going hour by hour for the movement of my entire family. So my my dad and my mom wake up at this time. They get my sister ready. She goes downstairs, grabs the bus to go to school, comes back at this time, then goes with her friends. Just my dad, to let him know. Yes, every hour by hour, what the movement. So that's terrifying. Yeah, so I had I, no idea that your family was targeted to that level. Yeah, like we were well off and and we did well, but at this point it was just free for all. They just need money because there's also Plan Colombia is have it's in place and that's where the US was giving Colombia a ton of money. So so now the the guerrillas aren't making that much money exporting drugs because Plan Colombia and and there's heightened security. Uh-huh. So they just what do you do? You diversify your income and now you're going into kidnappings. That's crazy. It's like what you just told us story. That's like you're essentially a refugee at that point. Well, that was it. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm in my first year of school in Canada mm-hmm. and, and my parents were talking and my dad's like, well, you know, it's like, I'm going to get relocated to Spain. It would be awesome. We'll move to Madrid. Do you want to come? I said, nah. So well, what uh, you, do you mean? You love Canada. Yeah. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm not risking it. I don't know what they're doing in Spain. I don't know oh. what happens rock wise, but I want to say I like it's it all here. All about the rock. Yeah. I'm like, I I need to stay in Canada. Well, I'm not gonna leave you. God damn it. Okay. Really? You convinced your dad, yeah. your old dad, oh, and I, mom I, and sister to come to Canada because of rock. Yes. I told him. I'm like, go go to Spain. I'm like, just yeah. leave me here. I like it here. This is fun. I'm like, I like North America. Leave me here. Yeah. And so they had friends in Kitchener, so they figured, okay, fine, let's try it. So they came as uh, with political asylum. Uh, really? Because of the kidnapping. That just means that it's a whole new process. So all of a sudden, my student visa and my passport and everything, it just got taken away from us. Because you were still a minor. No, because my parents now came as politi- uh, seeking political asylum. Oh. So they have to open up a case. And and, and that affected old- you because you're related. Yeah. So oh, for wow. six months, I had nothing. I had no papers. I couldn't, I had to drop out of school. 
I had no visa to go to school. I had no visa for anything. The only thing I could do was go back to high school. I couldn't enroll myself in a high school in Guelph because that's where we were living. I didn't know anyone. Oh yeah, I didn't know anyone in Guelph and I'm like, well, I'll just go to high school. I'm close enough, I'm 18. (laughs) Yeah, so I did that. Oh my God. And I took OAC classes and I flunked every single one of them, but I'm like, fuck it, I already graduated. (laughs) Uh, I thought I was really smart, I wasn't. Just because you you were into it and you you probably made friends. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that because I'd already finished high school, I could take the highest level of high school. I'm like, ooh, that was hard. Nah. Yeah. I took music OAC and that was the roughest awakening ever. Get there, the teacher says, the only thing we have left is the bass. I'm like, oh, dude, absolutely. I'm like, yes, I yeah. know Lunge's act from Nirvana and everything. Yeah, yeah. Give me the bass. And then they open the uh, the partitures. So now I'm sweating. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I can play by ear. There's no playing by ear when there's like a full orchestra going. People know. That's the a bass one thing. even more so than yes. anything because you're creating the whole harmonic context oh, yeah. for every note that's being played. Oh my so God. So picture this, this room full of an orchestra and there's the new kid that just grabbed the bass. And you're and laying eggs so all bad. over the place. Oh, I'm bombing. It was horrible. Oh, that's Halfway the through worst. the teacher stopped me and he's like, if you want to drop out, I'm like, you know, I'm doing that. I'm, you can't. I'm dropping the class. Like, because like, you just can read. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. That's and like, also, I'm not even that good at playing bass. I just know a couple of Nirvana songs on the bass. So that was great. I, I was taking computer programming at uh-huh. Conestoga College. Right. And when I had to drop out because I no longer had papers, I was like, yeah, maybe I don't really like that. Uh, wow. And when I went back, I went into marketing, which is where I met Scott. Through that, it's how we know each other, how I knew it changed Eddie. changed the course and, and, of your life. Yeah, like Royal Fuzz would have never happened. Right. I would have never met you. And is it, isn't that crazy? For some families, that whole move might have been traumatic because oh, your was, dad was being targeted. Like, how was that within your family? We didn't talk about it much, to no? be honest. It's like, yeah, like if, for, for them, like they never told me that it had this had started when I was still there. Did that bring your family together? Did that like... Yes and no, but like now, now we have... Now you've moved to to a brand new country uh-huh. where nothing is what you know. It just seems like your your outlook so positive is so like, okay, well, this is what it is. All right, yeah. I can. Well, because there is that. It's like now in Canada, there's so much opportunity. Like there is so, and that goes back to taking things for granted. Mm-hmm. I I didn't have that luxury because this is all new to me. There's no way in hell that I'm gonna work at a store in the mall in Colombia because I didn't have to, and my parents wouldn't let me. Why, why would their son be work? Just go to school. We'll pay for everything. Don't worry. That's the right. way it works. And then you'll do kind yeah. of a highfalutin, highfalutin and, job. Yeah, but here, like I went to the mall and I started working at Threads Skate Shop. Now I work at a skate shop and I get to listen to punk with my buddies. That close. So I went to work at Randy River. And now I get to work in retail, which is great because <laughs> I would have never done that there. But now I'm talking to people. And and it's just and you and here you skills. are again like pitching me the 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 merits of working in retail just because you because love, it's fun you you learn to sell amazing, it. and 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 you get to like I, I remember so Randy Rivers for those who don't know I don't even know if they're still open but it was a horrible shop at the mall that sold a lot of dragons and fire shirts 
Like all those. I remember that that it's a clothing store for <laughs> yeah. for kind of bros, but at the time it was more like, uh, how would you describe it? It was horrible. <laughs> it was like if you listen to insane clown posing, right? That's right. what you would wear. It's the bowling shirts with the two dragons on the side, and that right, was practically right. their whole shtick. Uh, okay. But I worked there with a couple of friends, and it was so much fun. And we used to have games. Whoever can sell the most of the dragon shirt. And now all of a sudden we're just pressure selling everyone into buying dragon shirts. But also it's the fact that I can work at the mall and walk home with a $500 paycheck for two weeks. It, it was because anything, it, whatever it was. You felt like doing that level of work in Colombia. It wouldn't pay You're anything. just, no way would you get money like that. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm able to like put gas mm. in my car and go to school. And also I'm having, I'm having a blast. I get to be at a place that pays me and I can control the CDs that go into the boombox at the back. <laughs> so now it's like, every, you know what? Like today, everyone's going to listen to Metallica. So it's, a, it's the fact that you can do so many different things and learn so many different things because you can and you're exposed to it, right? Same with, with the fact that people will pay you money to play music on the road. Like, that's unheard of. The fact that you can actually make an okay living and, or, or, like, exist and survive while playing music and you get to travel to towns. No way would you be able to do no, that No, that in, does in not fly and unless... so you really felt that. Yeah. This is Kitty's Day at the Fair. Yeah. I can go down and work at Randy River. I can join Revival Deer and play as yeah. a band and I can go across Canada and make money and wide open. It's insane. Yeah, I, those, those are things that were just non-existent in Colombia or like I wouldn't even try because it's just, unless my dad's going to pay for my band to go on tour, all those experiences have, have led me to now but even in my current job. And even based on this conversation we're having now, you've had a lot of jobs. Yes. Do you ever count? No, I've never. But I've like, had a it, lot of fun Is it more ones. than 20? Maybe. I, I even delivered newspapers for the Global Mail. Oh, you Hilarious. did that job. Yeah. I was, yeah you know I when had, you come home from the bar super late at night and so you see <laughs> that guy up, up early? Yeah, that was me. Slinging the big, they're, they're tied together with twine or whatever. Yeah. Right. I had to because I used my tuition money to buy an acoustic guitar. And then I had to make money fast. And one of my dad's friends, mm -hmm. uh, it's like, well, there's that thing. I'm like, I'll do it. I ran a Geno's Pizza and I was a delivery driver. And that was a lot of fun too. <laughs> <laughs> in what pizza. city was that? Guelph. It was Guelph. I, I was a delivery driver too yeah. in the night. Yeah, well, eighties around Kitchener and Waterloo, Guelph. How yeah, amazing yeah. is it that like you get cash tips, which uh -huh. you don't have to tell the government about, but also you're burning through CDs. Like the oh, amount yeah. of I music remember, I consume. Oh, me too. My dad was he had a hernia that summer, so the car. Our family had two cars, so my mom worked at the time, but so did he. But he was laid up for like two months with a hernia. So I was able to use that car to be a delivery driver. And it was like, I just ripped around the city listening to metal. It was amazing. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. My friends from the international school, they were they were still very Latin American. Uh -huh. and, and some were from Africa and some were from Jamaica. But like, no one really liked rock music. And this was this was a very big thing. <laughs> Brings because it all back to the at, most important that, well, thing. Yeah, because at that point in my life, that's the only thing that mattered. Is that now I'm finally in a country that embraces this music, and you guys still don't like it. God damn it! There was one. There, there was. <laughs> God uh, damn it! Yeah, there were two brothers from Venezuela, yeah. and they were my best friends ever because they love Pearl Jam. And one kid played drums, and yeah. the other one played guitar. Yeah. And we used to just jam all day and listen to Pearl Jam and just get drunk yeah, yeah. and like listen to rock. <laughs> uh, so that Amazing. was that. But when I moved to Guelph and I started meeting all these people, Guelph was a huge punk city. Uh, right, um, right. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden my friends 
know other people that know other people. And it's like, oh, tonight we're going to go to the Trashateria to oh, see yeah. Big Wig. Like, I don't know who Big Wig is. Or the Albion, Albion or Albion. the Trash. Yes. Like you said, the Trash like Jimmy or Jazz. Jimmy Jazz. Right. Yeah. So now I'm getting exposed to original music from independent bands. I don't know what it was. That changes I just everything, know, right? Yes, because I, I didn't know that transition. I just know there's big bands. How yeah. they got there, I don't know, because I've never seen that. Uh-huh. And that's when when I started seeing you play that's live. That's a moment, right? Yeah. Isn't it? I remember that moment for me in Kitchener, starting to see bands that like, these people are not famous, but they're amazing yes. musicians. And there's a whole world out there of bands that no one knows, and like unless you're into music that's outside of the mainstream. Yeah. That's, well, like that's the, a, the first time, lower, right? Yeah, like the first time I ever saw you play, you had just released "Battery of Test," right? Great album, and you're playing trampoline, and you're doing like weird chords that I'd never seen anyone do. All my songs were weird chords. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've never seen anyone play with sevens and nines, and like you're doing all right. these jazz things. And the first time, um, this was when I met uh, Scotty and Ed, right. and they took me to see Strongman. These are guys from uh, Royal Fuzz. That yes, eventually, from the Royal yeah, Fuzz. yeah. I'd never seen anyone play blues life. I've heard it. I love blues. This is your I've first time. And you'd it. already learned the harmonica and listened to Howlin' Wolf. And, right, yeah, because right. I love that, but I was never able to get it. But here, now you can buy everything. You can go into a secondhand store like yeah, Chippies yeah, or, yeah. or Big Goes On, and you can buy a Muddy Waters album for like five bucks. And now you're going out to clubs in Hess Village and seeing yes. Strongman and, and other seen, people. Yeah, yes. There was um, the Wax uh, in Kitchener oh, when yeah. it was still open. As Jeff Healy would come and play and Strongman would play every Wednesday. Now I'm right. seeing this guy just shred on guitar, playing the most amazing blues thing that I've only read in magazines and seen old videos. And and then you're also seeing all these local bands. Uh, you know, there was uh, Elkes was starting to play and, and yeah, there was Peter Super Elkes, Friends. Yeah. Paul McLeod and, right. and Hibakusha. And these are like late 90s, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Guelph, indie yes. bands, right? It was a great scene there. Yeah, right? and, and all the bands that would like pass by. So um, who was it? Uh, big Wig was a big, like smaller punk band. And, okay, uh, I don't and, know them, Big Wig, interesting. And uh, same with Monine, it was a yeah. Canadian band. Yeah, and they were, yeah, they were doing that. like backflips totally. off the stage. And, right, right. And it was insane. And then not and, only that, like the, the, the punk scene really did it for me. These guys would come super humble, small bands. They would come and play these places and then hang out afterwards. I'm freaking talking to the guy from Propagandi. Yeah. I don't know if they're big or not. They just, they have an album in HMV. I shook hands and I had a conversation with him. That's outrageous. That's amazing because you're coming from the mindset of being in Colombia and you're like, well, there's Guns N' Roses and yes. and what else is there? That's there's it. me playing with my friends and Guns N' Roses. And, and now, nothing in between. And, and fast forward a few years, not only are you, are you touring with bands doing that across Canada, you're making records that are on that level. Yeah. That's it, fantastic. Yeah, so doing that and, and being being able to do that. That was that was the key thing that like you can work at the mall and save money and record an album. After getting over everything that happened and, and moving to a new country and all that shock, I can be independent. I don't have to leave off my parents. That's right? There's huge. All these things were like if my dad said, I don't want you to play music, hey, guess what? I'm not asking you for anything. Let me work. It's like as long as I'm responsible and doing all my stuff and getting my own money. Why does it matter? It's like, yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. I'm like, yeah, there you go. 
just after having done as much as we have together musically to get this kind of context, it, it, it makes me look at it a whole different way. Sometimes you tell these stories and, and, and I work in, in a very corporate environment. So a lot of those people, and they're like, oh, wow, you did all of that? I'm like, yeah, because it's possible and it's doable. And, and it's and what, insane. Is it, it's sort of, like, it sounds like the, the subtext of what you're saying is, you guys have all the freedom in the world. You grew up here. Why haven't you done this? Why don't more people do that? Just the idea that you're so grateful for it and that you come, came from a place where you could not do that. It wasn't allowed. It wasn't possible. Yeah, like the fact that you couldn't enjoy things in Colombia because at the height of uh, of the shittiness, um, <laughs> if, if you had a nice car, you just shouldn't take it out because then people will know that you have a nice car and now you're a target. Here, right. dude, no one cares. I think that's something in North America that's that's epidemic, just this idea of that people just feel like we're entitled to everything that we have, yet we're living like kings and queens, and we have all the opportunity, and yet we don't take full advantage of it, and, and that's, even like you're talking about, right? Yeah, and, and that's also, it's no one's fault. Like I said, as humans, we acclimatize super easy. Yeah. So if you grew up in this, this is your normal. Where my head jumps to now is, I don't know if you're planning on having kids. Is that something you you, you think might be in the future? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd like to. Immediately, I think, well, how do you teach kids that who are going to be born here? <sighs> Ooh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's really interesting, too. I Especially was, uh, for you. So if you're planning on having kids, right? You want to not mess them up. And so you automatically, like, just having kids, regardless of your background, you want to do better than your parents did with you. Uh -huh. But then at the same time, it's, we don't learn through someone else's mistakes. Yeah, that's right? a profound idea. Not yeah, learning. Like, yeah, knowing now that like at the age of 35, which means I still haven't even done half the growing up that I need to do, but I'm still way better than when I was 25. Holy crap, I should have, there was so many more things that I wish I would have just listened to my dad or, or, or other people that told me things. It's like, God damn it. I actually had a deliberate moment in my life where I said, I need to start learning from other people's mistakes because it's really going to help me. I can't say that I'm there, but that's that's huge. So, like, are you saying, as far as raising kids go, it sounds like you would need to move them around. It's, they would have to go somewhere where they saw the 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 contrast. Yeah, and, and, and even that, too, like, it's hard because as you're growing up, you always think you know everything. Mm-hmm. So even with a kid, it's you start thinking about it, and and or even now, like even to people at work that are much younger and just came out of university, and you try and tell them things. It's like, listen, I did that, and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should try it that way. Mm -hmm. And you think about it, I'm like, oh, fuck, damn it! I'm like, if it was you telling me when I was that age, I'd probably just do it my way. Still. Just brush it off. Yeah, I just yeah, want to yeah. see if I can so do it. Doesn't it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it, matter what you do. Doesn't matter where you move kids. Yeah. So I think, well, and in, in, in if they live, it might be different, but mm -hmm. I think you just got to try your best and hope that they listen and they just tell stories. Right, which is how we got to this place. It's you tell stories and that's how information gets. You tell gets. stories. And you, so at someday, maybe we can play this this convo for your kids and have them hear the story yeah. of this is what your dad lived through, man. Yeah, because uh, even for me too, like sitting down and listening to to stories from my grandma uh -huh. that came from Lebanon or right. from my grandpa and, and my grandma from my mom's side and 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 they were fun stories, right? And yeah. so you carry those things and you, you just hope that like 
or, or just fill them with enough information so that when they make their own decisions, because that's ultimately what people do, they're just going to make their own decisions, but you try and influence so that their decisions are as sound as possible and they have uh, enough information so that when they do it, it's like it's an educator or as educated as possible. It gives them that they don't cut off opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then you try and be open so that if they do mess up, at least they can come and ask. I didn't know everything when I was there, right? Like a lot of the stuff I started learning after I moved here. Just because you were interested in what you had been through, yeah, your, your well, own like, history. We knew, I I knew what had happened in Colombia, but it wasn't until I moved here. And then I went back five years after that you start seeing everything. And it's like, like we have a lot mm, of poverty. Yeah, right. I remember seeing them on TV, like when the M19, which was uh, another guerrilla group in mm -hmm. Colombia, they took over the Palace of Justice with a tank. Oh this God. happened in Bogota. And my mom was in Bogota. I remember the story because my mom said, it's like, yeah, and it was a tank and it's going into the Palace of Justice. Mm -hmm. And that was such a huge deal. And now I remember this. I completely buried that one well, it's deep. It's funny, especially before a certain age, regardless of the kind of event it is, I find for myself, it's almost like a dream. You need someone to remind you of it. Yeah, and then you're like, important. oh, wow. That's, it's not even necessarily that you suppressed it. It's just like... I was young enough that it kind of got yeah. filed. It didn't matter. All that, yeah, it didn't matter. You weren't you weren't really yeah. thinking too deeply about it. Yeah. yeah, we could do this all night. I yes. feel like we need to do this again because I feel like we're barely scratching the surface. Yeah, I'd love to. David and Brad, Rob Zabo, thank so you much so for much for doing this, man. Oh, thank you for having me. This is awesome. God, we could keep going for hours and hours. This is so much fun. Sorry, I, I just went, dude, we could do this for like another three hours. It's been, it's been like over two hours. It's two and a half hours. All right, so how about that? What an epic talk. We actually talked for over two hours, like you heard me just yelling about there after <laughs> we'd stopped the conversation. We honestly could have just kept going. So now you know what I mean after having heard Dave and what a blast it is talking to him. I mean, he's just so genuinely inside of whatever it is you're talking about. He's just so excited and engaged. It's contagious, like I said. I was actually talking to Todd, the editor of the conversations in this show, and he was telling me how hard it was for him to edit that conversation because the energy just never subsided. Ah, what a good life. I'm pretty lucky to get to do this. All right, before I get weepy, I'll throw out our email address again for all your comments, questions, suggestions, I want to hear from you. The address is and sometimes why pod at gmail.com. All one word. Why is a word, not a letter. Don't forget either about the Spotify playlist. It's in the show notes for all the tunes you heard on this episode. And make sure to subscribe on your favorite app. And please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for giving a shit. And uh, try to be kind to each other, please. All right. Thanks for your ears. See you next Wednesday. And Sometimes Why is brought to you by Rob Sabo. Conversations are edited by Todd Donald. <laughs>